I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. <laughs> Zack Snyder's Justice League. thousands of other super beings on the other planets he's destroyed, right? And we have to assume he's won. I don't care how many demons he's fought and how many hells. He's never fought us. Not us united. With us is regular guest and friend of the show, Maya Santandrea. Hello, Maya. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's pretty good. Yeah, we're all right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, welcome to our episode on a movie that we already did a main event episode on, the theatrically released Joss Whedon cut of this film that made decent enough box office and lukewarm reviews in late 2017. It's worth talking about that one first uh, before we go into the Snyder version, but I've got a little bit of an intro first to contextualize this thing. By now you'll have heard a bunch of people's takes on this, and if you enjoyed it, that's cool. There are so many publications that actually agree and have been praising this thing. Ours is going to be largely critical, but point out the good stuff that we did actually like being added back in. We just wanted to give you that as a heads up before we went in. We have no interest in starting fights with strangers. And everyone who isn't a stranger and listens to us every week, we trust you, as always, to understand which direction we're coming from. You don't need your hands holding. And believe it or not, this was something I have been curious about since the whole debacle started. I'm always fascinated with different edits of movies. And in this case, or in the cases where the original creator was removed, I usually tend to sympathize with a frustrated artist who is basically being told that their work is a product and that the backers need to bring in someone that the mass market likes to maximize sales. That doesn't mean I will automatically prefer the director's cut. There are several examples of creators whose work rubs me up the wrong way, so much so that I prefer the version that got taken away from them. Donnie Darko is a splendid example of a theatrical edition that is far more focused and strong than the meandering, flabby, even more pretentious director's cut. Though I definitely sought out the Arrow Blu-ray with both versions nonetheless, and I'll be doing the same with Richard Kelly's Southland Tales, which just recently came out in July 2021. There was a can cut that was notoriously disliked, uh, but we can finally see it. Ridley Scott seems to have had notoriously bad luck with getting out his almost always better director's cuts. Alien, Blade Runner, Legend, Gladiator, Kingdom of Heaven. He may in fact be the most thwarted as a director, although he can always get there in the end. It's almost like the studios are like, we don't want to know, Ridley. Okay, come back. Tell us what you were going to say. And then there's the glaring parallel of Richard Donner brought on to direct the original Superman film, which quickly became a two-part saga, but then thrown off the production by the producers, uh, the Salkins. He got 
part of Superman 2 shot. Roughly 75%, more than a third of which had to be removed to remove him from director's credit. And then they brought in Richard Lester to shoot a bunch of much lighter material. They actually had to shoot just like extra stuff just so that he could have a certain percentage enough to say that this was his film. The theatrical version of Superman 2, unlike Justice League, pleased a lot of people, and some consider that to still be the best Superman film today, even though it's effectively a phantom project filmed from two different directions. Several decades later, in the early 2000s and the run-up to Brian Singer's Superman Returns, Warner Brothers not only opened up the vaults to piece together the much longer TV edit of the original Superman, but brought back Donna to piece together something that came close to his original vision of Superman 2. Now, I immediately preferred Superman 2 because it's got some really great bits of acting from um, uh, Chris Reeve in that and Margot Kidder, which hadn't seen light for decades. Although, it's still elements of it bug me. And they're actually graded, colour-graded, in two completely different ways. It's much more of a sort of an uh, aqua-looking outfit in the uh, uh, Leicester cut, and it's sort of bluer, with a little bit of a kind of a green tinge. So there's a definite colour difference between the two of them. And we've seen all of the cuts that I just mentioned, and last year I Frankensteined a version of Superman 2 together from both cuts, removing some of the problematic stuff like erasing Lois's memory at the end and turning back time yet again at the end of the Donner cut. You can't just keep doing that, Clark. It's so weird. (laughs) And somehow making the ending one which allows the world and Lois to deal with the events like adults. It took a lot of work, and there was some very fine tuning on that last conversation they have that make it seem like Lois knows he's Superman, and he knows and she knows, and they're both being adults about it. If I remember rightly, the hardest scenes for you to sort out were the ones where there was useful and valuable stuff in both versions, yeah. and you had to find a way to, had to splice, splice them, them together. Yeah. But at the same time, but like I said, the two different colour grades and the two different ways they were being shot, and Christopher Reeves' hair, because it keeps changing. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so... I think we'll be doing a main show on the first two Superman movies at a later date. We've already done Supermans 1 through 4 back in 2013 when the original Man of Steel came out. But we've I've mellowed on those and actually started start to really like them um, uh, more recently. I wonder why. But that process has made me even more interested in what Snyder wanted to do with Justice League. Now, those two re-edits, Snyder and Donna, have one major thing in common. Warner Brothers wouldn't have asked Donna back were it not for a fan campaign based on a bootleg of Donna's version of Superman 2, calling for the studio to release that. So it's a combination of fan pressure and a studio getting dollar signs in their eyes. Because it's prestigious to be able to say, we brought back this director, we helped restore his vision, and now that it's artistically motivated, don't you all want to pay us some money to see it? So there is definitely an argument to be made that fan campaigns do get things made, do bring things back. And it's been going since Sherlock Holmes, so this is nothing new. What seems to be newer and catching the public's eye more is a small contingent of a small contingent of very loud fans doing things like rating Godzilla vs. Kong one star on the IMDb because now they have their Snyder Cut, they want their Snyderverse back, restored. They have the proof of concept, the studio bowed to them, and the worst of the worst, by no means everyone at all, but the worst have now gone mad with power. Like, we will hold all your other releases hostage, Warner Brothers. 
with our power of voting. Until you give us what we want, you invest hundreds of millions of dollars in a very fragile environment for cinematic media. At this time, during the pandemic, and since I want a healthy landscape for movie making, I can't possibly see that as a positive thing. And once again, I'm going to guess that none of you listening are doing that. You aren't the kind of guys who harass critics, especially female critics, making them scared to actually say what they really think about something like this. You aren't going to be the kinds of people that start fights on Twitter. And you aren't going to be the kinds of people, I would hope, that make being in a fan base feel unwelcoming and unsafe. So to be clear, while I never retweeted Release the Snyder Cut, like many of you listeners... I did want to see it. Side note, I'm starting a very small, very polite fan campaign to Disney. Hashtag release the Lucas cut, hashtag release the Marquand cut, and especially hashtag release the Kirshner cut and fix that colour grading. The Empire Strikes Back should not be nearly monochrome. Let's talk about the differences in approach, the decisions Whedon made at first, and the way it played out in both the original footage and then in the reshoots added to complete this version that Snyder did. Because as many folks have already made clear, no Snyder Cut existed at the time the hashtag released the Snyder Cut was being circulated. There was like a rough, rough edit, but it was not complete. It needed $75 million to complete. Effectively, it it was willed into being by fans and by talk and by articles and also by the fact that the pandemic meant that filming films was very difficult. So they were like... So making something that lasted four hours out of shit you already had seemed like a viable option. Yeah, seemed like a viable option. Um, Before we start, though, and this is some deadly serious shit, it is important to note that Joss Whedon meant... A lot to me creatively. I may not have been into Buffy or Angel or Dollhouse, but I eventually loved Firefly and Serenity and his two Avengers movies. So loved that first Avengers movie. Unfortunately, word on his behavior has been surfacing in the years since Age of Ultron, dating back a long, long time. His treatment of certain actors and actresses is unconscionable. And the cyborg actor Ray Fisher on this project was treated like absolute shit by Whedon and DC honcho Jeff Johns, who, again, I've previously lauded. They are disgraceful men, and I suggest, if you can stomach it, looking into the extent of this tyranny. Snyder, on the other hand, rarely seems to get reports of terrible behaviour, and his daughter committed suicide around the time that he was relieved of duty, and that is one of the most tragic of possible occurrences. I absolutely feel compassion in that regard. He has always possessed and exhibited problematic views within his work, and I've talked about them at length. Some of this will turn up in this conversation. One aspect near the end in particular drove me absolutely bugshit crazy, but we'll get to that. Personal tragedy doesn't put an artist beyond critique, but I will try to be as fair as possible and make good faith arguments. I will say, where I can, this is a reading, not the reading. It's going to be much more difficult to do that with Ezra Miller, the Flash, who in April 2020 got into a frenzied, violent altercation with a female fan outside of a bar and choke-slammed her. This is not only a guy whose screen presence I often liked, but someone who came out as, is it non-binary? 
Uh, yeah, he still goes by he, him, as far mm. as I'm aware, but... Uh, is yeah, non-binary, non-binary, which takes guts. And I was dreadfully disappointed to hear about this, same as I was with TJ Miller and Emile Hirsch. Could we all please stop choking women, please, just for a bit, please, asking for the entire human race. So let's go. Let's just illustrate what Whedon changed, what Whedon added to the the almost two hours that he had. It may be important to add at this point that I actually have not seen the original theatrical cut of Justice League. Oh, shit. I have only seen the Snyder cut at this point, although now I'm very curious to go back and watch the the theatrical cut, which I probably will do. Yeah. Um, it's, it's something that I will eventually get around to, but it was one of those things where when it first came out, I was like, Eh, I'm just going to skip it. I'm not all that interested. But now I am, just to compare it yeah. to this version. Yeah, honestly, it was uh, a mostly unremarkable film, aside from the fact that it it was taken away from one director and given to another. And just to see the... the Like, watching it originally, when we talked about it in 2017, it was like, I, I feel like this was one of his editions. This was... He's up against a lot... You know, at the time, he would have been up against a lot of... Um, you know, varying things like, of course, we all know that you know there were various reasons why Snyder originally left the project. And as you already mentioned, his daughter's death was horrible and tragic. And, you know, I, I'm sure I speak for everyone when I say nothing but utmost sympathy for him and for Deborah Snyder and the rest of their family and everything else. So I understand why they would bring on somebody like Joss Whedon to complete the project. He's already worked on uh, two Avengers movies at that point and, you know, had shown himself to be able to handle this kind of material. It's, you know, on the surface, it looks like it's similar to something like the Avengers without, of course, the uh, precursors of the standalone films with the exception of Man of Steel and and Beavis Dodge. Um, (laughs) I've forgotten I called it Beavis Dodge. I can't, I I won't let you because I just call it that from now on. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I, I understand why bringing someone like him in would have made sense at the time and you're stuck you know if you're warner brothers you're stuck between a rock and a hard place you have to get this movie finished it's halfway done tried and true joss whedon who has already done avengers and age of ultron why not and from what i know of it it seems like he was trying to put a little bit of his own spin on it trying to add some levity to the film etc which I'm not opposed to, personally. Before we move on, let me just go back to that 2017 show we did on the original Justice League. Around about the 40-minute mark, I started making... We all started making predictions for what's going to happen to the DC expanded universe of superheroes now, now that they've come to this milestone. Let's see what I was right about and what I was really wrong about. Honestly, They'll keep Wonder Woman no matter what thing. happens. Yeah. Affleck could not give a flying fuck. I guarantee we're never going to see uh, Jared Leto's Joker again. Everybody, God willing, everybody God hates him. <laughs> Which was why the uh, the the end, like last bit of this with uh, uh, Luther, surprised me so much. I was like, it cuts to Arkham, and then a uh, bald man in his cell gets yelled at, and then he turns around and goes, "It's not Lex Luthor. It is I, someone else." And then it cuts to a yacht, and obviously Deathstroke, Lex Luthor's sitting in his palatial yacht, and he goes, ooh, hoo, hoo, 
Hello, Deathstroke. We should start a Legion of Doom. And I just thought so much better than that scene would be. It's the speedboat, but it's obviously, you see the bald head of Lex Luthor, and then he gets onto the yacht, and it's all palatial, and he's like, ah, and it goes, oh, oh, ah, 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 you ain't got no beef, you ain't got no beef, and it's Jared Leto's Joker, and Lex goes, ah, I like your style, have, have a jolly rancher, and Jared Leto, uh, Joker goes, okay, so why did you bring me here, and Lex goes, you brought me here. And then they both look at each other, and the whole fucking yacht explodes. And then it, <laughs> it cuts to Gotham Harbor, and then Harley Quinn turns around to the camera and goes, Ain't I a stinker? <laughs> and then we love Harley Quinn forever, because she's just taken out the two worst carbuncles on the arse of this franchise. I guarantee you we're not going to get Darkseid anytime soon. Mm. Next Wonder Woman movie, make Granny Goodness the villain and have Betty White Blair. Oh. Or be really meta and go Linda Carter. But uh, let let me just tell you the slate, okay? Just to to remind everyone what's currently apparently in production. Aquaman is in post-production. That means they've shot the film. Um, Shazam is in pre-production. Wonder Woman 2 is in development. Cyborg... And then Green Lantern Corps, July 2020. Then there's Batgirl, Nightwing, The Batman, Gotham City Sirens, that ended up as Birds of Prey, Suicide Squad 2, Justice League Dark, Black Adam. I'll believe Black Adam when The Rock playing Black Adam is on my cinema screen. Or TV. Deathstroke, Deadshot, Harley Quinn and the Joker, Justice League 2, Lobo, and Man of Steel 2. And I forgot about that Scorsese-produced standalone young Joker movie. Did I, say, did I not say Batgirl? No, no, you did say Batgirl, but this, unless Justice League somehow does magnificent box. It didn't. Batgirl <laughs> is not happening. Is it not? I, I don't think Because so. it was Joss Whedon's pay or play And they're going to go, uh, you've not brought in the Benjamins, Joss. Correct. Thankfully, no Joss Whedon Batgirl. Also, I have a question. Aquaman's in post-production, yeah. and it's due out in a year. Yeah. Shazam is in pre-production, and it's due out only four months later. Question mark? How does that work? Is the is the produ- post-production stuff, does that take a year? Maybe they filmed all the on-land stuff, and then the next year's going to be Jason Momoa in a swimming pool. I'm okay with that. I don't know why you're laughing. That's what they're going to do. I just had visions of some poor CG bloke and they're basically given a film and told, now colour in all the water. Now (laughs) give Jason... Frame at a time, shading it turquoise. Jason Momoa says he doesn't like his beard. Give him a new face without a beard. (laughs) Must I, master? (laughs) (laughs) Wow, Sharon, Sharon got broke. Turned out that extra year of post-production was to put sharks with frickin' laser beams attached to their heads into Aquaman. We'll do a show on that soon, folks. So, differences between the theatrical and Snyder Cut releases of Justice League. The the superficial ones first, and then we'll deal with the big couple at the end, because that changes the film very uh, noticeably. Danny Elfman's score, rather than Tom Hockenberg's. Tom Hockenberg was very sad to be taken off this project. He accompanied Hunt Zimmer on Beavis Dodge and had done a lot of Justice League um, and then was told, yeah, no, you're done. And he's one of the most 
you know, like, I can't even call him an up-and-comer. He is a perennial classic composer now. And mm-hmm. he's done things like Fury Road and... Oh, yeah, which is, like, a absolutely amazing, mind-blowing score to uh, any movie. Like, it ele- it's... Like, the movie itself is already so good, but his score, like, elevates it, you know, up to 11, basically. Yeah. Like, he dials it up with yeah. his score. And that's actually one of the uh, the, the, the big uh, upgrades on the uh, theatrical version, Hulkenberg's score being back here. It makes it just so much more epic. And if I, going back to Beavis Dodge, just listening to the score on its own, I uh, I was kind of incredulous as to it uh, when we I just walked out of the cinema. But it's got some really great kind of thump, you know, ding, 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 ding. And then the uh, Lex Luthor's a horrible character, but the ding, 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 like Sturm and Thrang. It's fantastically. Uh, um, it's got. I feel it's like got, I'm being invaded. Yeah, it's got. <laughs> it's got more personality than Jesse Eisenberg. Also the boom boom in Lex's theme is a mirror of the Man of Steel theme. Boom boom. And um, I'm going to go ahead and assume because Hans Zimmer's never laid claim to this one. I think Hulkenberg came up with the Wonder Woman I'm theme. Sh- I, I'm pretty sure that's accurate. Yeah. I, I like he. Yeah, he's never taken credit for it, but it. Just in the terms of its like tone and and how it sounds, it feels more like Tom Hulkenberg yeah. than than Hans Zimmer. So and I, I think originally at the time I was like, this is rid- goddamn ridiculous when I saw it in Beavis Dodge. But you know what? Its application in the Wonder Woman movie, the first one, um, just really made me kind of fall in love with that song. Also, yeah, it's it's not bad. Like yeah. I, I was kind of on the on the fence about it at first too, because you know it, it is a little bit fart rock. But oh yeah, we can give it a pass because it is one of the better parts of not only Beavis Dodge, but some of the other you know, subsequent films that have, have come out, including the Snyder Cut. Uh, also seeing Tina Gao uh, do uh, an electric cello version of it. If you just uh, look that one up on YouTube, my God. Oh, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> That'll put some steam in your strides. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that was that one. The, the Danny Elfman score was totally forgettable. Like, I think he incorporated a little smattering of the Batman theme from 1989's Batman, a little bit in there. But rather than going all out and rather than bringing back the John Williams theme for Superman, he kind of he put a little bit of duh, 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 when they're fighting him and they become the Skeleton League. But. Um, <laughs> But that's all. Like, it's complete. Like, I don't. I, I could not hum you the Justice League theme. The, the people say that about the uh, the the Avengers movies and 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 what Marvel do, but those have stuck in my I head. I can I can call up the Avengers theme in my brain right now. Like, mm-hmm. I know what it is. Oh yeah. Um, the element of the music that I think I found most striking was the switching out of um, the score for. Like pop type songs, mm. the the one that Icky sticks Thump in the became mind particularly. Leonard Cohen. Um, which one was that? That's the when Aquaman's walking and drinking. Yes, that's exactly the one I was going to mention. Yeah, it it just it. I do prefer the version. With was it Leonard the, Cohen or was it Nick Cave? I think yeah. Yeah, something like that. But it just. I it, think it's Nick Cave. Yeah. It feels much more um, humorless without that track. Yes. Hmm. 
there was a, there was a definite kind of reangling away from James Wan's Aquaman for Aquaman in this, which mm. I definitely didn't like. Like, it, more on that later. But it just it fe- it felt like I don't like the way that the uh, DC universe has moved on since I was uh, at the helm, and I am definitely going to angle this back in the direction that I was going for. Yeah, we want this dead serious, and we are going to rubber band back to it if you yeah. won't let us. And that is not only acceptable for a director reclaiming his own creative vision, it's to be expected. Since James Wan very deliberately went away from this version of events for his Aquaman. But that did give me tonal whiplash, because effectively we're seeing another dimension where things are a lot more dour. Superman was in blue. A lot of his, uh, you know, when he finally turns up, they were like, this is the Superman you know. They were trying it with Henry Cavill and they made it blue and he laughed and he smiled, more on the smile in a bit. But it was just generally like, we're giving you the the classic version of Superman. We are course correcting the grim, dour, aloof, cold, frightening, angry man. Yeah, uh, more. Uh, I have way more to say about that fucking oh, suit yeah. later. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll get that. Uh, yeah, we'll get to the black suit. Um, so th- at the v- beginning of the theatrical one, there's the there's a cover version of Leonard uh, Cohen's "Everybody Knows," sung by a lady, uh, and it sort of shows that the world is miserable now because of uh, Superman's death. There's some of the footage did turn up in this, but it's not part of this montage. There's also a rather on the nose um, hobo with a sign that says "I tried," which is. Just saying, look, I tried to do my best with this. Okay, I get it. Very good. Also, uh, at the beginning, Batman catches a bank robber and meets a parademon. And then he dangles the bank robber over the side of a... It's a bank robber. It's just a, a burglar over the side of a building. And then utilizes that fear to attract a parademon. And then that, the parademons are attracted to fear, pays off at the end. Uh, there's also an Eastern European family, because Joss noted that there are no civilians in this film, at least certainly not at the end when uh, um, apparently the entire world is imperiled and they're fighting on a giant green screen. Uh, so there's this uh, family who are being um, attacked by the B police and the Flash and Superman try to help them. And it's just a couple of little cheap cutaways to this family uh, being accosted. Uh, Lois goes to work in the theatrical version. I noted in this that um, Lois is in dreadful mourning and just like hasn't gone back to work and hasn't let her life continue. She is desperately sad about Superman the whole time. Lois cannot stop thinking about Superman. She's obsessed with him and his death means that she can't move. She can't function. She's Bella in uh, uh, New Moon. Theatrical one, there were some extra film scenes shot with Martha where they chat about Superman at the Daily Planet. So it doesn't really pass the Bechdel test but she can eventually muster forward momentum and get on with her job. Remember when we talked about Wonder Woman 84 and how much it bugged us that Diana is still so friggin' hung up on um, uh, Steve. That's yeah. I was just thinking that like yeah. this is a very odd like echo of Diana not being able to get over Steve Trevor. Yeah. Um. I I think it's because and I've mentioned Snyder's women before. Snyder's woman will back up her man 100% all of the time in a fashion that suggests she has nothing else. This was something that was sort of a a broader concept and saying something about the notion of mourning and the notion of grief and, and that, you know, there was a reason that people used to say if you've lost 
uh, a partner in particular, but somebody who is particularly important to you, you you get a year off from anybody demanding anything from yeah. you, and that is absolutely reasonable. But, but this nobody is nobody like, else seems to need acres of time yeah. to do nothing. This is like Queen Victoria, who spent as soon as Al- Albert died, spent the rest of her life in black, just mm. mourning, mourning, yeah. and that's mm. saddening and troubling. Doing that with Wonder Woman basically stops her being this incredibly important fixture for the world. Mm. And that's bothersome as hell. Yeah. I mean, she's still out doing things. Mm. It seems like she's at least, thanks to the events of Batman v Superman, following the events of Wonder Woman 1984. I have to retrofit that now. She's out there. She's out there in the public eye saving lives. The scene in the beginning with her was very confusing to me because it was very difficult to place where it was and what exactly was happening. Mm. I couldn't quite make it out. I was like, at first I thought it was a bank. Then it seemed like it might be some sort of government facility, but I wasn't sure. Mm. I couldn't really place where we were. I think it's supposed to be London. Can you guys corroborate that? It is somewhere in Europe. I think it's supposed to be London because there were a lot of English kids in that school troupe. But uh, okay. maybe Paris. Well, it was a posh school. Maybe Paris, so yeah. But since she works in Paris, that would probably make more sense. Yeah. But it might be okay. England. But uh, yeah, yeah the, just, I, there was I have more. No idea. <laughs> there was more to this scene here. Uh, like they really go all out on the whole. He's definitely going to machine gun children. And rather than it being sort of a fun scene where Diana kicks wholesale ass, it seems to really focus on I want to kill children with this bomb. Mm. I just really want to do it. And, and it's also kind of absurd that you've got this kind of neo-Luddites who hate technology so much that they're going to use a technological bomb to blow this bank back to the Stone Age. Wait, right. That, okay. <laughs> I couldn't remember whether this was in, in the theatrical mm. version or not. But I'm sure we talked about this a, during the theatrical version. Yeah. But this, the way they phrased what their aims are bothered me so much that I looked up the Dark Ages on Wikipedia to mm-hmm. find out how accurate they were in, in what they were claiming it's they just wanted. before the Renaissance, wasn't it? Um, well, the... The Age of Enlightenment. The statement that he makes is, we're a small group of reactionary terrorists who want to turn the clock back in Europe a thousand years. They called themselves terrorists? He's sitting on the the lasso. Yeah, I think they do. Oh, I see. Yeah, no, yeah. He uses the lasso of Hestia. But even using the truth, he wouldn't say terrorists. They wouldn't. Because in their minds, they're not. But what yeah, got freedom me fighters. was, for a start... Okay, or revolutionaries. You'd, you'd have to mm. go back at least 1,300 years to achieve the chaos following the collapse of the Roman mm. Empire that is what's usually referred to as the Dark Ages. A 1,000 years wouldn't even take you back to the Germanic pagan recovery period. Uh-huh. So what they're saying is they want to eliminate advances in medicine, technology, and lower-to-middle-class social progression, but leave the deeply unfair, Christianized, aristocratic, and feudal political structure relatively damaged. Cool, cool. Good, just so we're clear on that. Chef's kiss. <laughs> Thank you. This film was written by Chris Terrio who wrote, uh, who Disney went, we need the guy who wrote Batman v Superman to write The Rise of Skywalker. Like, look yeah. at his work. But what these bad guys are supposed to do is set up that this is the threat to the, the developed world. This is the threat to civilization. What, and banks? Bloody banks. Wildly disorganized and don't really seem to know what they're trying to achieve. There were money lenders in they biblical just times. Smash stuff. Yeah. Okay, anyway, um just let's get off the friggin' uh, jo- uh, Joss yeah. Whedon thing because there's <laughs> so much here. Um 
Right. Flash mentions brunch when uh, uh, Bruce goes to visit him and the brunch comes back at the end of the film. Um, they're dressed like a bat. I dig it. That Everyone seemed to quite like in the trailer. That was brand new. The Just Save One. Oh, you won't have seen this. You know when they fight Steppenwolf and he's taken some hostages in the middle before Aquaman mm -hmm. joins them? Um, there's a bit right. where Flash is, uh, says, um, I've, I've never really saved the day at all. Uh, what I tend to do is push people and run away. And Batman okay. says, you, you've never been a superhero before. Uh, just save one person. And it was like... Okay, that's that's neat, and that kind of then leads on to this family that he then Flash and Superman try to save at the end of the uh, film. So that's gone okay. because that was a, a Whedon creation. Also, um, when Flash and Wonder Woman tumble down after she's going in slow motion. Uh, it, it, Side note, by the way, Bob Chipman mentioned that the Flash being able to move in slow motion is just what everyone can do in Zack Snyder movies. That is not a power. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he's not wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, originally when they fell down um, in the theatrical cut, he fall, fell straight into Diana's boobs. And it was something that Gal Gadot was uncomfortable with. And Joss said, oh, you'll fucking do it. And uh, so it, it had to be a falling into her boobs situation. Um, when they, when Cyborg and Flash dig up Superman, they're on their own, or at least we don't reveal that there are other Justice Leaguers watching them, and they have a different kind of chat about digging up a corpse. There's a sort of reference to Pet Cemetery. What came back weren't human. When Lois t just happens to be there at the um, big fight when they fight Superman in uh, yoga pants, she's just there in the Snyder Cut because she visits his grave every day and brings uh, coffee to uh, the actor who played Jimmy Olsen in the Donna Superman films. Theatrical cut, um, Whedon had Batman go and fetch her. It's an alternate payoff to Lois being the key seated in Batman v Superman. More on how that paid off in this version later. The bit where they talk in the field is... Um, Vastly abbreviated, that's him and Lois, and then uh, um, Martha turns up. There's a section where Bruce kind of slumps down in his mansion, and Diana comes and talks to him. And because of the change in lighting, the color tone is, I didn't mention this, is completely different, and it's much brighter, and uh, there's a lot more warmth and red in the uh, Whedon version. And uh, again, Bob noted this, the... Batman outfit is calibrated to make him look more buff in dark blue lighting because it like there's more shadows covering these patches but if it's under bright warm red lighting which it was in this scene it looks like he's got these completely unnecessary mm. patches on his outfit which yeah, if he was going to hide in yeah the same way Batman's a lot more kind of ugh I fucked up in the uh, Whedon version like, a lot more sad and slumped he still feels tired as hell and miserable in this but they kind of they they focus on him feeling like personally responsible for all the shit that went down in Batman v Superman. Um, there's also a bit where Arthur Aquaman sits on um, Wonder Woman's lasso by mistake and then starts saying, we're all going to die. You're super hot. I don't want to do this. It's kind of a little pre final sequence pep talk where he tells the truth for the first time and it's it's fun you know, Jason Momoa has an abundance of personality especially up against all of the mm. uh, rest of the team at the end when they're fighting Steppenwolf there was a real difference in terms of what the what Superman meant the way it's positioned in the theatrical edition when he finally comes back wearing the blue 
after Steppenwolf has kicked the asses of all the other leaguers and just left them like, we can't do this, Superman turns up and saves the fucking day, which makes it feel like the Justice League all put together is maybe not quite as powerful as one Superman, which makes all, which depowers the league. The, the way it's shot in the film is much more kind of a, a team effort in finally kill, killing him and beheading him. In the uh, theatrical one, remember I mentioned that the parademons are attracted to fear? Steppenwolf starts feeling afraid of the League and then the parademons attack him and kill him. That's kind of neat because then, you know, like his minions kind of turn on him. That's a very fit. It's kind of like a, a scar with the hyenas yeah. and the Lion King. It's, that's not bad. It's something. I mean, ultimately, that could have yeah. been part of the... Like, you'd have to thread that through the film and illustrate that he comes from a planet where they're not allowed to feel fear. And the idea that fear is actually kind of useful at times and that the parademons preying on it is uh, is bad news for the Earth. But then him feeling it is like, oh, you're actually becoming a bit more human. And then he gets killed as a result. But, yeah, Superman also uh, laughs at this end bit and he and Cyborg are lying on the ground going, ha, 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 I can't feel my toes. I don't even think I have any toes. <laughs> and when I say laugh, <sighs> the only thing that is exceptional about the Joss Whedon theatrical cut, and when I say exceptional, asterisk, is that the work they put into giving Superman a digital mouth is fucking hideous. It makes him seem <laughs> creepy and uncanny and inhuman, and his eyes don't move with his mouth. And I don't know how much actual retake stuff took place with uh, with Henry Cavill, but it just they may as well just have got a CGI gonk, because the version of Superman that turns up and apparently smiles at us because Zack never shot any footage where he ever did smile, and because Joss couldn't shoot any footage where he did smile because he had a moustache, and they wouldn't let him just have a beard, they went for this particular route. They start the film with it, this really horrible, like, Superman on a grainy iPhone uh, piece of video. It is disgusting, and it so threw me out of every single scene with Superman in it, that like it was like Superman's back, but that's not really Superman, and it never was. It's such a sad, like deflated ending to that version of Superman because they really want to give us the da, 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 good Superman, yeah. but it's like his eyes don't match the rest of him. Mm -hmm. <sighs> it's hard to get past when there's such a a physical and like technological disconnect. It's yeah. really really difficult to, as an audience member, as a person watching it to emotionally connect with that thing because it, of the exactly what you're saying, the uncanny valley effect. And it's almost like a, a microcosm of like this whole problem to begin with. Yeah. Like we took a version of Superman that was well received to, to a certain portion of the audience, but not to everyone. And then we like slapped a fake smile on him to make him more appealing to Yikes fans of the older version it's a very odd like little like like emblematic part of this this whole thing that's like oh fuck you know like we we couldn't we couldn't fix superman unless we put a, a fake smile on his face yeah it, it really kind of underlines the difficulty they had there and i thought mm. to myself why don't they just make a whole new justice league film ultimately they'd spent northwards of 200 million on this i think it actually ends up breaking down with the snyder cut as well pushing beyond 300 million they had sunk mm -hmm. so many costs into this they kind of just wanted to rush it out the door 
um, the Zach being removed from the project was not solely because of his personal family tragedy. That just seemed to be a horrible fucking coincidence. Just the worst scenario to happen. Well, he was effectively going to most likely be relieved of duty of this project, but this one just kind of pushed them into the yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna restructure this thing. And ultimately, what Whedon did was kind of a, a botch job, rescue job, just to get it out the door. Just get the sunk costs paid. Maybe see if they could recoup their losses. They made six hundred million. Uh, you know, it's 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 paid for itself. It's it's also paid for the Snyder Cut that way. And it's it's more of an experiment than, um, you know, it's an experiment that they kind of try to patch up and patch over and just sort of. <sighs> there were so many reasons why uh, it didn't hit like it should have done. One of them being mm-hmm. the obvious that we mentioned every time we covered one of these movies in the, in the run-up to Justice League, and especially when we covered it, they didn't just go the Avengers way and, and have a film based on each personality. They did one on Batman and Superman, the two most well-known. They did Wonder Woman that everyone needed to know about, and then they held Aquaman for later and still yet to do Flash and Cyborg. It's just... That hamstrung them, and it especially hamstrung them insofar as when you watch the Snyder Cut, it is clear that all of the Ray Fisher stuff, all of the Cyborg stuff, pretty much none of that was in the uh, theatrical version. Like, all of that, mm-hmm. like, well, this guy's really interesting. He's kind of like the Matrix. And you know, he, 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 can, he can see people through cameras. And he effectively hacks the internet and watches one particular woman a waitress, struggling through a very unfair existence and decides to help her. Kind of a techno-enhanced Robin Hood. And what we encounter here is the through line of Snyder's vision. Going all the way back to Man of Steel, Jonathan Kent begins everything by preparing Clark for adulthood in a flawed way that makes him uncertain of who to be. And for that, you're going to have to cast your minds back to 2013 and Man of Steel. He saw what Clark did. I know he did. I'm sure. I'm sure what he thought he saw was... was an act of God, Jonathan. This was providence. I just wanted to help. I know you did, but we talked about this. Right? <sighs> right? We talked about this. You have... Oh, Clark, you have to keep this side of yourself a secret. What was I supposed to do? Just let him die? Maybe there's more at stake here than just our lives, Clark, or the lives of those around us. When the world, when the world finds out what you can do, it's going to change everything. Our, our beliefs, our notions of what it means to be human, everything. You saw how Pete's mom reacted, right? She was scared of Clark. Why? People are afraid of what they don't understand. You're the answer, son. You're the answer to are we alone in the universe. I don't want to be. And I don't blame you, son. It'd be a huge burden for anyone to bear. But you're not just anyone, Clark, and I have to believe that you were... that you were sent here for a reason. All these changes that you're going through one day... One day you're going to think of them as a blessing, and when that day comes, you're going to have to make a choice. A choice of whether to stand proud in front of the human race or not. Can I just keep...
pretending I'm your son? You are my son. But somewhere out there, you... You have another father, too, who gave you another name. And he sent you here for a reason, Clark. And even if it takes you the rest of your life, you owe it to yourself to find out what that reason is. And here and now, eight years later, Silas Stone, via dictaphone, played by Joe Morton, who was Miles Dyson, who just can't seem to stop making Skynet, now says the same words to his son, Victor. What you can do now, Victor, your physical strength is just the tip of the iceberg. The tip of the tip. In the world of ones and zeros, you are the absolute master. No firewall can stop you. No encryption can defy you. We're all at your mercy, Vic. From our power grids to our telecommunications, everyone's lives are controlled and dominated by complex digital networks that will bend without effort to your will. The fate of the world will literally rest in your hands. Entire nuclear arsenal you could launch with a thought. The world's monetary systems and its complex interactions will seem as easy to manipulate for you as a child's plaything. The question, no, the challenge, won't be doing it. It will be not doing, not seeing. It is the burden of this responsibility that will define you and who you choose to be. Victor, these are the words and deductions of a scientist. That's how I've been speaking to you. Now, let me speak to you from my heart, not as a scientist, as a father. And Victor, like Clark, crushes the dictaphone symbolically and decides to help people anyway. We never see Clark crush his dictaphone. That happens off camera, though it is the absolutely key moment not in Man of Steel. Disregarding the version of his father who says he should hold back on helping people and go against the nature of his heart that is telling him to help and to overcome his fear of being rejected by the human race or of messing everything up. And the most important part of this version of Justice League found nowhere near the theatrical cut is Victor reforming the smashed recording device and playing the rest of that message at the end, having beaten Steppenwolf and used his particular skills to save the world with the rest of the new League. Silas then switches from the scientist, which is what Jonathan Kent was accessing on a sociological level, because by Jonathan's own words, another father is out there with the reason Clark was sent to Earth. So Silas effectively becomes Jurel and tells Victor what he should be doing in a reassuring way with faith in his son. And I will play that bit for you in the final act of this podcast. That bit should have been the satisfying coda at the ending of Zack Snyder's vision of the Justice League. And it wasn't because Zack couldn't help himself from wading back into the world building in what I feel is a very corrosive way. More on that in a bit. 
it's very much a technological upgrade to um, both Iron Man and Dr. Manhattan. There's none of that in the theatrical one. He's just mopes around going, I am a monster, and that's it. He also, the, the expanded stuff with Cyborg, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about the details of it later, but the key element of it that, that I really appreciated is that it gives the audience a version of heroism which is actually a bit more relatable and mm. a bit more applicable to everyday life. Ultimately, what... Um, Victor tries to do with his abilities is more on the ground helping people directly kind of stuff as opposed to the very MacGuffin driven kind of heroism which is find the thing, protect the thing, once the battle's over you may be going to have to destroy the thing and if that's the only version of heroism that you present then your audience is going to end up with with kind of this slightly confused version of events where it's like, okay, so you want me to help people with, I don't know, organising campaigns against vote suppression and stuff like that. Well, I, I can't really get my head around that. Do you maybe have something that I could find and protect and then maybe later destroy? I, that I feel like I could do. Mm. The, the way this movie starts is very different to the, the original kind of everybody knows intro to the theatrical one. Um, we've got five minutes of a man screaming in slow motion. Yeah, start as you oh mean to God. go on. Put... It's just Superman going, ah! As he's being stabbed by Doomsday. And this sends out a shockwave that wakes up the mother boxes who were scared of Superman. All right. That really told you, you know, you are definitely watching a continuation of Batman v Superman, which they almost kind of wanted you to forget about the theatrical version. Mm. And uh, but also you are there's no doubt about the fact that you're watching a Zack Snyder film. Mm. And he was actually like as Snyder as this film is, it's less obnoxious by quite a way than Batman v Superman. It's closer to Man of Steel, maybe. It's definitely more cohesive in a narrative sense than BVS. Like yeah. Beavis Dodge was all over the place. It yeah. was just like cut together. It was just a fucking mess. Mm. And this at least feels like it's strung together in a more logical fashion. Yeah. And uh, if you, but if you've seen the original, it's actually kind of surprising that like that was two hours and it just feels like they grabbed it at both corners and just stretched it like taffy. To, to twice as long. It's the same exact story, just with more in it, but it just feels thin as a result of that stretch. Like, there's there's not really that much more substance. Not not really. Like there, was, there was barely anything before. There's still barely anything now. They just take for goddamn ever to get to it. Mm. I did find myself wondering at one point if the reason that it felt more cohesive and, and the reason that I could follow it was because I'd already seen, seen it, an yeah. abbreviated version of the plot. Um, because there are places where it does meander, but I think it... One of the benefits of this version was that it didn't feel as choppy hmm. as the theatrical. I mean, Beavis Dodge, it was, how can we get Superman to fight Batman? And that required a, a very convoluted plan on Lex's part, which all went through according to plan. This is very much a case of, the, there's a guy with horns, he wants three boxes, we've got to stop him getting three boxes. Oh no, he got the first one. Oh no, he got the second one. Oh no, he got the third one. we got to kill him. We killed him. The end. Uh, it's the same in both, and, and you know we've got to join up. No, nope. Uh, nope, don't want to join up. Okay, I'll, let's join up. Honestly, it's not all that different from in uh, the Family Guy Empire Strikes Back. Well, I'm definitely not Yoda. 
Okay, I'm Yoda. It's it's that level of commitment to the, we're not going to do this. Okay, we are. Every time an Amazon or Wonder Woman turns up, there is this same piece of Tom Hulkenberg music. I, I feel, almost feel like Hulkenberg made an hour's worth of music, and they were just like, well, this is the Wonder Woman theme for this one. It's that... And it, it just, it feels like it, it's, it's effective to begin with, but then every time it turns up, it's, it's, it's almost comedic. It's, yeah, there comes it a point. It is comedic. It's definitely. Yeah. There, there comes like, a point was, where. Yeah. self seriousness that becomes funny. Well, it's the fact yes. that they're using it in scenes where other music is going on. Mm. And you stopped that music simply because the camera was pointing at Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yeah, you we just had to have that little music sting to to remind everybody yeah, it's, it's as if we like, needed reminding. Yeah, if this music isn't playing, people won't know that this is Wonder Woman on screen. She's the right. only woman around for miles. Yeah, exactly. We'll which, know. which adds which adds to the comedy of it too, to be honest. Um the I think there's a very striking sequence where Wonder Woman's mum watches the uh the big fortressy thing that was holding the mother box um just falls into the ocean. That's um new, the original version did do that but it's just the fact that it happens in slow motion with that ah, music that happens repeatedly and the the energy i was getting off this whole film was the world is coming to an end mm. and we will be witnesses to it it felt very funereal very kind of this is this is the end and nothing is going to be able to stop this <sighs> mm. And then that just made me... don't need that right now. It just made me kind of sad watching it. Yeah, it is. I mean, this is a very depressing watch Hmm. in in a number of different ways. But yeah, I think that's a really good way of saying it is that it's just like, it just leaves you feeling sad and sort of hopeless. Yeah, and that that there's not much we can do to stop this. There's... Mm -hmm. uh, the closest equivalent is, in Avengers terms, is Infinity War, where effectively you've got this dude, this big CGI dude, wandering around trying to find MacGuffins, and everyone's like, we've got to stop him getting this MacGuffin. But there is such appealing interpersonal dialogue back and forth, gallows humor throughout Infinity War, and it's also such a fucking joy to see the Guardians yeah. hang out with the Avengers, hang out with Spider-Man, hang out with Doctor Strange. It's, It's... Like it's it, it has that terrible, tragic ending, but the whole way through, they're like, we've got mm. to stop this happening, and yeah. we can do it, I'm sure, if we just, like, it's not like, come on, gang, it's just like, we like, we must, as opposed yeah, to, there's there's no fucked. other choice, like, we just yeah. have to, there's, there's an energy behind, and a drive behind something like Infinity War that is not, present in that in does this, come uh, in version of justice league end game does have it like we were beaten we were fucked we you know we chopped off thanos's head and we became the avengers that we were always supposed to be and it didn't help us in any way but there's a difference between using a, a deliberate withdrawal of that energy in yeah. order to make a plot point and a thematic point Mm. than just that being the default the whole way through and I think ultimately Mm -hmm. this is one of the things that um, that 
has always frustrated me about what DC have largely turned out, with a couple of exceptions, they are they have seemed to be very very reactive, and in actions like. Uh, we don't think we can really sell this version of the movie. We want it to feel more like Guardians of the Galaxy. Get the man who did Guardians of the Galaxy. Hmm. We we can't sell this version. We want it to be. They're more still like doing the that Avengers. now. We're waiting exactly. for well, August. Exactly. For That's that. my point. Yeah. We, we we want it to feel like they the tried Avengers. to retroact- Get the man who did the Avengers. They tried to retroactively turn the miserable, grim version of Suicide Squad into a bright, poppy, funky hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. style yeah. film, and they screwed up there yeah. like it, it was still very popular mm. but yeah. uh, it, it, it just it ended up feeling like they were course correcting while making projects for far too many of these yeah but if that, that I'm amazed means... that Wonder Woman came out so well absolutely but, yeah. but if, if you try to do something reactively because you're worried about what it doesn't have mm. then you end up with something that just kind of feels empty and I think one of the, the benefits of Snyder's cut and, and seeing what he'd intended with it was at least it's got a um what's the word I'm looking for it it felt like it it had an intentional direction it was a miserable direction hmm. but it didn't feel like it had that kind of empty pointless bouncing aroundness that hmm. the theatrical version had right Back in there's, 20- a, there's a vision behind it and mm. you know it's it's pretty much up to you and what you know like the individual like how much of that you're willing to take because if it is a miserable vision well that's gonna strike certain people a certain way and other people a completely different way mm. I do wonder how long it would have been if they'd made him take all the slow-mo out <laughs> <laughs> it's like come 30 on minutes. Zach, no. <laughs> we can get this down to three hours without even cutting anything I do want if in on YouTube in years to come the uh, Snyder Cut but all in regular motion it'll be uh, it'll still be three hours long but yeah. that extra hour you'll feel it'll be lighter mm. oh uh, boy um on a technical note, mm-hmm. I have never liked that about the Snyder films. And like, you know, full disclosure, I've not been a fan of Zack Snyder's work or his style specifically pretty much from Jump Street, like going all the way back to his Dawn of the uh, Dawn of the Dead remake. I have not really been a fan of his style. And especially with something like 300, where this was really apparent in it. The ramping to slow motion to ramping to slow motion, like, I just, I was done with that the moment I saw it in 300. Like, I just have never cared for that style of of action directing. I think it looks very silly, and at this point, it is well past the point of being new or fresh or original, and it just doesn't do anything for me. Hmm. Um. The original Steppenwolf um, was, I think, ranked as the absolute worst comic book villain that I had ever seen on the big screen, uh, simply because he was so... There was nothing going on there, and uh, he was just Kieran Hines being grumpy the whole time, and he looked like a cave a big truck. wall of brown. <laughs> yeah. Um, they did update the model. They gave it more spikes. They made him beefier. He's got sort of more jagged teeth. He seems to... Emote both more and less. The problem became that while making him this kind of middle manager and like emphasizing the fact that he was serving Darkseid, like he, this was the case before. I was like, yeah, he's kind of the 
um, the like a combination of the Black Order um, who turn up before uh, Thanos in uh, Infinity War. Um, mm-hmm. But in doing that, they brought Darkseid front and center several times in this film, which wasn't in the theatrical one at all. And We Hate Movies pointed this out. He's played by nobody. He doesn't yeah. have any real presence in the film. Like, we're told Darkseid's terrifying. Um, but when you actually see him, you're just like, well, this is just another cave troll. Yeah, he's he looks like a... I mean, honestly, when I saw him, I was like, geez, this looks like a low-rent, like, B-grade Thanos. Mm. Which and is I ironic since that, it's the other way around in the comics. It was Jim Starlin right, basically it, copying... Jo- um, exactly. I, I know that there is a, a one to, basically one-to-one parallel between them in the comic books, but yeah. now it's almost impossible Jack not to... And it, I mean, the performances are, are, you can't even compare them. This guy is just a, a CG nothing. Like mm. Thanos' performances, you know, in uh, Infinity War and Endgame, mm. I could believe that there was a person actually performing. Fuck, I can believe him somewhere. in Guardians of the Galaxy when he, he just sort of sits on a throne and goes, you bore me, to uh, Ronan the Accuser, who's basically uh, a, a right. more interesting version of uh, uh, Steppenwolf. Continue, sorry. Yeah, no, I, I that was, uh, my only point was like, like, with Thanos, you can definitely see there's somebody, kind of like... He's working you know, shit out. Yes, Andy Serkis in pretty much any performance capture performance that he does, mm-hmm. um, whether it's Snoke or Caesar or Gollum, like there's a sense that there's an actual actor behind it mm. and they're emoting and the CG and the effects that are put on them is simply a way to create the character around their yeah. performance. Digital makeup. Yes, Yeah. exactly. And with, dark side and i think with um with this version of steppenwolf 2 it feels very empty Mm. and all i feel like is that i'm just watching somebody play a video game at that point yeah he he did seem like a video game not even the end boss the uh, there are a couple of reasons why um like i applaud the idea of getting dark like like take this opportunity get dark side front and center but get a really great actor behind it and actually do performance capture and give him eyes. Just having them on fire all the time is like, well, we can't connect to that. Uh, But he's just sort of there being growly. And then there's Dessard who comes through as well as another cave troll. And because we get Doomsday at the beginning as another cave troll, that's four cave trolls in this movie. And... I think the, the the fact that Steppenwolf, who was previously the worst villain of all time, is the best of the four cave trolls, that is a serious fucking problem. Mm-hmm. I, ultimately, yeah. it does, like, MacGuffin-wise, it ends up somewhere between uh, the original Avengers movie with Loki trying to track down the uh, Tesseract and also kind of mess with the Avengers. Like, he's he's got other stuff to do in that film. And then Infinity War, where uh, Thanos is hunting all of the uh, gems. But in both cases, you've got a, a very charismatic character. There were all those Thanos was right pieces. That I haven't seen a single Dark Side is right piece yet. I must be looking in the wrong place. I have, however, read a couple of articles about how much of the fourth world was missed in the opportunity to sort of open a gateway and let us see it. It seems like a very overly simplified, well, this is a terrible dark overlord who presides over a industrial hellscape. 
But Jack Kirby was, from the sounds of it, really going all out with the various lackeys that Darkseid has in order to retain power. It's a giant Jack Kirby warning against fascism. And I feel like we need that right now. The twin world, which stands in opposition to Apocalypse, New Genesis, is set to be explored in Thor-level fashion in Ava DuVernay's The New Gods. I really hope that film comes to pass. The best thing that could happen would be that Marvel releases The Eternals, and it does gangbusters, and Warner Brothers decide, hey, let's definitely, definitely do The Fourth World by Ava DuVernay. But there was actually a bit which was added to this, that, um, or, or may have been a, a reshoot, and, you know, if ultimately all you're working with is a cave troll, there, doesn't, there isn't much to reshoot. But uh, Steppenwolf is on the planet Earth, and it reveals that, oh... Darkseid fought here before. Originally, when Dark, it was Darkseid fighting all those people, it was actually Steppenwolf, because they'd pasted Steppenwolf over so as not to figure Darkseid into this thing. Um, but Steppenwolf, like, he's wandering around looking at the greenery. I was thinking, just in retrospect, wouldn't it have been so much fucking better for Steppenwolf to have just paused and gone, life, and just sort of looked at this planet in comparison to the shithole he came from, Apocalypse, where he was beaten and, and, and treated like shit his entire life. And just like looked at life moving on in this green, fertile place and thinking, to succeed here, I have to wreck this. And for him to feel just a little bit... I'm not sure about this. And and for that to make him eventually maybe maybe Darkseid kills him as a result of his misgivings there. That's much more interesting. It definitely gives him a lot more motivation. Yeah. Okay, so moving forwards. Uh we've gone to Beloved Mother, Beloved Son. In part three, we finally meet the Flash. This whole scene with the hot dogs <laughs> was not in a theatrical version. I feel like it's reshoot stuff. Um, or, or you know, it, it would kind of make sense. This was the first time I actually felt something strong while watching the movie, and that strong thing was laughing my ass off. At oh, a my scene God. That... <laughs> okay. I was dying during this scene because it's not... Okay, so it's not... Uh, and I think I'd seen, like, images of this before, and, of course, I oh, yeah, heard I the joke about, like, oh, the hot dog 9-11, the, you know, which is funny, but then it's, like... It's not just the imagery. It's not just the weird, like, hair touch. It's not all that. It's, like, the combination of that and the slow motion and the music that's playing behind it, like, all combined together mm. make it the most unintentionally hilarious scene in the whole fucking movie. I had to stop the movie just to laugh for five minutes. I was, like, on the floor. It was <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> He can, can, let's describe this to people who haven't seen it because it is worth describing. He's gone for a job as a dog walker. It's a pet store. It's, mm. Yeah, it's like a a pet store, like a a dog adoption place or something like that. Okay, I I remember saying when he I, I was watching him interview, I was like, so Barry wants to be sta standing still behind a counter all day long, right? That's crazy. It doesn't make any sense that someone who is living so much faster than the rest of us, for whom a day passes in glacial fashion, would want a job where all you can do is sit there. That, that, that is the kind of job that's like you're watching the clock all day anyway. Mm -hmm. 
In which case, a dog walker actually makes way more sense. It would, but you've got to move at the pace of the dog. Like if he if he ran at the pace he would want to, he'd just deliver these these bloodied leads on fire. Oh no! Yeah, something happened to your dog along the way, but I walked it. It's it's gristle now, flaming gristle. Yeah, I don't like it. That's bonkers. Um, So he then sees. Uh, what like what we'll find out from no one? It's the same thing as Jimmy Olsen. Um, like we found out like after the film that Jimmy Olsen was killed in Beavis Dodge because he was the right. like the cameraman dude or something like that. Um, that this is in fact Iris West, his future wife. So it's okay for him to creep Wait, on her. No, it's not. That's who it was supposed to be. I believe so. I could be wrong. And if it's just a random girl, that's not better. And the fact it being <laughs> Iris West West is also not better. It's just the yeah, same. It, and never like that is not made clear anywhere. Like mm. that nobody ever says her name. She's never like talks about herself. Like, yeah. So he's that's looking not at referenced her anywhere in the film. He's uh, I could be wrong. He's looking at her outside in the street. Just see if there's an Iris West I'm or looking. is it just it will just be girl in car. If it's just girl in car, we, we will print a retraction. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not disbelieving you, but I just that she just is blows credited my mind. as Iris West. This makes her also the sister of Wally West, who was my original Flash when watching the Justice League animated series. Yeah. Either way, that's the girl huh? in the car. So she's just like there's a guy. Uh, a trucker who's eaten a big old hamburger and he drops it on the floor of his truck and then he starts leaning down and he's going along, bombing along at 40, 50 miles an hour down a crowded street. No. And he's like, I gotta get my burger. And I'm just like, slow down, dude. Slow down. It is astounding that he manages not to hit anything else before he gets here. And then... Yeah, exactly. There's cars parked like on either side of the street that he's going down and he doesn't just drift over to them. Like... Okay. Honestly, that is a case of fuck it. Well, I guess I'll go and I'll stop in at the next place I, I, I go and, and get a burger. But this guy is determined to get his burger back. I don't know what this scene is saying. And then he's not looking when Iris West is driving out into the intersection in her red Chevy Nova. And he plows into her car, creating what I described to, to Maya... On my on our just Twitter because I had to private message someone. I said, "This is a hurricane of wieners." It is. That's it, exactly what it is. I mean, you were not exaggerating. Like I kind of laughed along with. It. I was like, "Oh, haha, hurricane of wieners, Alex. Very funny." But yeah, that no. is That's exactly what it is. And then Barry, spotting this from his interview, charges outside, bursts out of his shoes, like his feet come out of. Like, it just tears through those shoes to get to her and it's like okay so he's going to save this girl and then he's going to save everyone else around uh, her um just to make sure that no one gets hurt during this fucking absolutely tumultuous crash and there's sausages like frankfurters floating around as he stands gazing at this beautiful young girl and going oh her hair looks really nice and then just reaches up and just adjusts her hair while she stares through him because this is taking taking place in the space of a second and he's you know Mm-mm. what we said before about Mm-mm. ezra miller ch- choked a fan a, not cool a, not, not cool, cool at all Espe- like, you know what i just thought of this though like especially not cool this actress is a performer of color yep touching a, a person of color's hair like that without having permission is a super no-no 
the yep. huge violation. It's notable don't that, do that all do the actors of color were edited out of the um, uh, Whedon version. They're like, um, Miles Dyson makes a brief, the briefest, briefest of appearances. <laughs> to the point Miles where I'd Dyson. forgotten Joe Morton was in this. Yeah. Uh, but pretty much all of these, like all of the characters of color that you saw in the Snyder Cut were just not there. And the the shit that Ray Fisher had to uh, take, the the fact that a lot of it was racially based was just really oh, yeah. fucking That's uncomfortable. Abominable. So yeah, but, okay, the fact but that this, this is this scene is a step up is such is. a damning of this production. Exactly. Like, I'm glad that they put these, you know, I'm glad that they put these actors back in it, but... Don't do this to a person of color. It's not cool. To anyone. Or anyone. Yeah, if you're a Flash and you have Flash powers. If a girl is about to die, maybe don't gently caress her face. Effectively, the fact that she's frozen in time is neither here nor there. She may as well be asleep at a party. Mm. In a private room that no one can see you, readdress her hair. So redress her hair. It's just fucking creepy. It's effectively the same thing. And I am aware that me saying, or anyone does sound a little bit like all lives matter. That is absolutely not my intention. Maya is absolutely right. There is most definitely an additional racially charged load of cultural baggage that comes from deliberately manipulating people of color against their will. But back to the absurdity. As he's doing this, hot dogs are sliding past his face, and he goes, oh, hang on, you, you need to print a retraction regarding his, uh, his uh, status. Not, uh, not a retraction, but just to correct what I said at the yeah. beginning. I, I defined uh, Ezra Miller as non-binary. Uh, Ezra uh, Miller is, in Ezra fact... Miller identifies as genderqueer and does use they-them pronouns. Okay. Okay. So well, my apologies, then. They Noted. look at a whole bunch of uh, uh, wieners floating past them and go, ooh, can probably... Uh, take one of them right there and put it in Mr. Pocket. And he's like, he starts sliding a fucking sausage into his pocket. And it's like, there's other things going on here, Barry. And I totally like, because of the tone of this whole thing. And I was already laughing. I was like, is he, I was like, oh my God. Are, are they going to take that fucking hot dog and just like poke it into her face? <laughs> So she wakes up on the street. She lands with a sausage in her mouth like a cigar. I I did not see coming the reason why uh, he would be taking it. And I was like, well, okay, that makes sense. Barry needs a lot of protein to keep his metabolism running. Maybe that's a snack for later. Yeah, he feeds the dog a snossage, so to speak. Um, it's it's to give him an extra boost in his interview. But basically, like on paper, Barry Allen witnesses a terrible crash in the middle of the street right next to him. And he goes and takes his goddamn sweet time saving the one woman who's involved in it and seems to have no idea that there are other people on the street that he might want to make sure are definitely clear of the blast. There's a shot of one of the vehicles going into another and like it bursts into flames. Like it's on fire that and driver he is check on dead. The, yeah, My God. He check on the on the truck driver at all. Like nobody else matters in this scenario, apparently. It is, as I said, a hurricane of wieners and improbability. <laughs> So, so yeah, that that happens, and I think I took the rest of the of uh, Justice League till the end to actually recover from that one moment. It's so absurd, <laughs> right? I said I thought this was reshoot material, but as honest trailers reminded me, one of the original trailers pre Whedon 
involved Barry breaking this glass. So this was always here from the beginning. This was always the our introduction to the Flash. Barring the uh, mini supermarket holdup that he foils in the Justice League teaser that Bruce emails to Diana in Batman v Superman. And now that I come to think of it, the diamond store burglary that this version of Flash foils in Suicide Squad with a very brief appearance perpetrated by Captain Boomerang. So he's already technically stopping crimes in costume as well. So, I mean, it, but this was like, I don't know what Barry Allen's going to be doing as Flash, like, you know, in his career, because it seems like he doesn't seem to understand people and he's out of step with us. And that's actually a great angle to take. Mm-hmm. Um, which... Would have been a really, really uh, beneficial, I think, if we had just had a standalone movie with The Flash mm-hmm. first. Feels like it. Did the, there is a distinct lack of characterization of everybody in mm. this. There's just there's so little giving me a reason to care what's going on moment to moment. I actually noted down it takes an hour and a quarter to get any characterization of Lois. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's and she's a, just in mourning. Excellent point, because all she does is mope. My boyfriend's dead, my boyfriend's dead, my boyfriend's dead, my boyfriend's alive. See you later, Superman. Yeah, pretty much. And and also, like, they, they try to... I, I understand, like... Zack Snyder is trying really, really hard to get some characterization in these little moments, like the scene with Aquaman that we mentioned before, this scene with the Flash with the <laughs> hurricane of wieners. Um, and, and, like, the stuff with Cyborg, I, I, I understand that they were trying to, like, cram in as much character-building stuff as they could within one movie, that's possibly why the runtime is the way that it is, mm. you know, as such. Um, but I don't honestly, a lot of it just didn't. Uh, it fell flat for me. The stuff with the flash, like I'm glad that there was a little bit of levity, and you know, uh, Barry Allen is making some quips. He's trying to lighten the mood a little bit, and that was a welcome change. But then you get to someone like Cyborg, where I appreciate that he's in it more. You know, as as I've heard, as compared to the theatrical cut, I appreciate that Joe Morton is here. I like all of that stuff, but there seems to be a huge, gaping, like blind spot with regards to the powers that are actually given to Cyborg. How that actually comes about, it they set it up almost as if this is what. This is what uh, Victor's father would have wanted him to be able to do. And it seems very suspect and a, very irresponsible to give him that much power and that much responsibility and no way forward on how to actually use it. And Cyborg never has any sort of like, he never goes through like a, a questioning of the ethics of these powers. Mm-hmm. I think that was definitely needed with his character, and as far as I could tell, it's not there. I noted as well, we, we get Vic, um, Victor Stone's backstory, and his mom is there to, to see him be excellent at, at football, so that's about as much origin as, as we really get there. She then dies in a horrible truck crash, which, again, it, you can't really have a horrible truck crash when the hurricane of wieners is still fresh in your mind. 
Uh-huh. This was a that comedy truck a crash. Yeah. This was a tragic cr- truck crash. My God, you are so right. They are within minutes yeah, of each it, other. Yeah, they are. So yeah. jarring. Yeah, the, the scenes follow one right after the other. It's extremely jarring to see that scene with Barry Allen and then this scene with Victor and his mother. And, and it's like it does kill mom mm. and it almost very nearly kills Victor. Like he, they say several times that he should have died in this crash. Hmm. There's a, a scene later Emotional on. Emotional whiplash. No one's taking care of the mother boxes properly. Like it's even more apparent in this. There's a bit in the theatrical version of Justice League where after they fight Superman in yoga pants, there's a blue flash over yonder. It's like, oh, Steppenwolf must have got the other mother box that we just sort of left in the, the toilet there where we uh, resurrected Superman. And you never see what happens there. You do see what happens here. But, no, like I said, no one's looking after the fucking mother boxes. It goes, it does, it gives us a flashback. And the Atlanteans had it, like, basically swallowed by an octopus in mm. the depths of the ocean. Yep. And somebody else has got one that seems to have been encased in concrete. They're taking them out of more secure locations. Yeah. Uh, they they had it in, in like really deeply hidden, and then they put it in a barely defended underwater temple that seems just set up to have a fight in it, so that Steppenwolf can just sort of bust in and take the thing. The Amazons watch their box forever. They have fifty plus Amazon women just pointing spears and bows at this box in the centre yeah. of a circular room forever for centuries. Yeah, they just stand happens. there with their bows pulled back, just showing how awesome their arms are, just waiting to shoot the box with arrows. And then he turns up and kills everyone. And it's like because they're all knackered from having to hold their arrows like that for centuries. Why yeah, not do exhausting. something, do anything else with the mother box? And the human one's the worst of all. Originally, they give it to a bunch of, like, beardy Excalibur uh, rejects who bury it in Epping Forest about a foot deep underground. Just, like, just somewhere where, as you said, Sharon, an enthusiastic dog could turn it back up. Definitely. And where they most certainly are just going to forget where they put it. Yeah. Where did we put the fucking mother box? We left it unmarked so we wouldn't know. And it's like, well, that's uh, great. It will be found. to take down those coordinates? They keep trying Jerry, to be... Jerry, that was your job. Yeah. Was your you had job one job. <laughs> they keep trying to be Lord of the Rings, but even more serious. And Dude, this is I... the one ring. It will oh. be found. It wants to be found. Hobbit vibes galore oh, yeah. in this. Especially, I, I felt it very much with the design of Steppenwolf and pretty much all of the baddies up mm. to and including the parademons they also. They have a cave like, troll. Huge, huge, uh, the Hobbit films specifically and the Battle of the Five Armies mm. specifically. Mm. Oh, huge yeah. Vibes you said, that. oh, I like Dessard, and I went, no, that is some Battle of the Five Armies looking shit. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. High five. So, yeah, the, the, I think the human box is the one that gets the most abused because that's the one that gets used to turn the, the remains of poor Victor into cyborg. And then he goes and buries it in his own grave one centimetre deep. A stiff breeze would uncover this thing at this point. And he's just sort of leaving it out for the birds. And I'm amazed that Steppenwolf didn't find it that way. Effectively, it takes him to go and, and find it and bring it back and so that they use that to, to resurrect uh, Superman with. 
But I noted here the, the sheer amount of dead parents in this. Miles Dyson, like I said, has at one point tries to destroy the mother box, or like they kind of explain it away with he wasn't trying to destroy it, he was trying to superheat it so that it could be traced by the Justice League, like knowing it's going to be taken. And yeah. it's supposed to be a big dramatic scene, but it's blocked terribly. For those not familiar with this term, blocking a scene is working out the details of an actor's moves in relation to the camera. You can also think of blocking as the choreography of a dance or a ballet. All the elements on the set, actors, extras, vehicles, crew, equipment, should move in perfect harmony with each other. But the basics of blocking a scene are, where do your actors stand so that the frame tells the focused story the director wants to tell? So here's the scenario. They're in Star Labs, Silas Stone, Miles Dyson, is in his laboratory with the mother box. He finds out that Steppenwolf is in the building. He's storming up to get this thing. As soon as he gets it, he'll take it away, combine it with the other two, and end the world. Silas then immediately steps into a sealed glass chamber with the mother box and fires a laser at it, which creates hideous amounts of radiation, killing him in front of his son as Steppenwolf approaches. It's very reminiscent of Wrath of Khan, which is fine. It's a great film. Surely, like, like try to, to do this thing from outside, and it's like, eh, eh, it must be activated from inside. He's like, no, 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 no! And it's like, okay, I'll do it. And, like, actually deciding, it, it means my life, but I'm going to do it. And, like, for, for a start, you need that to be the primer. Otherwise, he just steps in there and seems to try to want to destroy the mother box and fails to do that, but does destroy himself. Yeah. yeah, but the second poor blocking is that Steppenwolf is walking up behind his son and he's so intent on doing the Zack Snyder's noble sacrifice, exactly the same as Pa Kent, who just holds pa up Kent. a hand and says, yes. don't you dare come exactly. and save me, son. Don't you save me. Papa knows best. That he doesn't go, son, right behind you is fucking Steppenwolf. Do you think that any father on the planet wouldn't go, get out of here, just... He's going to kill you. Just Why let him take fools? this box. I can do this now, and you can fix it later. I can no, do it. No, let no. Let me do it. It has to be me. It has to be me. I can save today. You can save the world. So effectively, Zach here is combining Park Kent's death with Steve Trevor's personal sacrifice. I wish we had more time. Conferring the responsibility of following up on this upon the one he loves. And there's even more layers of Wrath of Khan vibes. I love you. Because Chris Pine did this exact same thing in Star Trek Into Darkness. But Diana in that scene, Clark in the tornado scene, Kirk or Spock, depending on who was outside the radiation chamber in that scene, are all out of danger. Especially Clark, who would actually have been fine standing in the middle of a tornado, and quite capable of outrunning it. In this scenario, Victor Stone is in serious grave danger because Steppenwolf is four feet away behind him. And Silas just stares at his son in a I hope you understand what I'm giving up for you, son, way. It's terrible blocking. It's awful. It. I think you're spot on with the, I was just thinking that. It was like, this is exactly the same as Pa Kent in that, was it a Man tornado? Yeah, yeah he, he, tornado, we hate movies referred to it as having a, losing a fist fight to a tornado. <laughs> no kidding. It's, oh God, it's awful. And just the, the amount of, you did not need to do this. You did not need to put your child through this. Yeah. 
I mean, the, the other thing like, is, if you think about the blocking of that scene, Superman just needs to be, like, young Clark needs to just be like, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to run out there, grab my par as I go, and run across anyway. the cornfield to the next town over. Yeah, as exactly. far as everyone else is concerned, it looks like Clark was just blown away by a strong wind. Yeah. And then they can turn up later and go, oh, hey, yeah, no, we got caught in the, the gust, but we're okay. And the exactly. town would be fine with that. It would be fine. There's so much stuff They wouldn't be like, no, 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 you're a Superman, Anyway, it would have been impossible for them to, to really see anything. And they're probably running for their lives in the first place. It's fucking chaos. So, and it's, it's, it's the it's, polar opposite of the original death scene for Jonathan Kent in Richard Donner's Superman. Is it showing off and somebody's doing the things he's capable of doing? Is, no. is a bird showing off when it flies? No. No, now you listen to me. When you first came to us, we thought that people would come and take you away because when they found out, you know, the things you could do, and it worried us a lot. Then a man gets older and he thinks very differently and things get very clear. And there's one thing I do know, son, and that is you are here for a reason. I don't know whose reason, whatever the reason is, you know, maybe it's because... Uh, I don't know, it's... Uh... But I do know one thing, it's not to score touchdowns. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> I'll race you to it. Yeah. You will. Come on. Come on, Pop. Brent, come on. Come on. Move, move. And then Pa Kent suffers a heart attack and dies of impossible to prevent natural causes. Oh, no. And at the funeral, a young clerk says to his mother, All those things I can do, all those powers, and I couldn't even save him. Now Donna's Superman feels like a relic from a former bygone era. A lot of the backlash from fans of Snyder say that that version of Superman is not relevant to today. And let's just say he isn't. Let's just go with the idea of a conflicted Superman who had these two dads telling him different things. And for all the extra footage thrown back into Justice League and the hours and hours and hours of time that Zack has now had with these heroes. If you look at Man of Steel, the ultimate edition of Batman v Superman and Zack Snyder's Justice League, all together, that's coming on for 10 hours. And yet... In all that screen time, their resolutions, their turns, the dramatic meat that makes them the heroes they should be, is absent. Still. With the exception of Wonder Woman, who had a dramatic arc in Patty Jenkins' film, story by Zack Snyder. So part of that credit has to go to him. And then, of course, Aquaman... In the James Wan film, which exists independently of this. Put a pin in those two movies and the progress made there will be coming back to them. Speaking of parents, though. Martha Kent, if you remember from Batman v Superman, told Clark... Be their hero, Clark. Be their monument, be their angel. Be anything they need you to be. Or be none of it. 
You don't owe this world a thing. You never did. Echoing what Jonathan said, with astonishing power comes no responsibility. Thanks, Mom. There's nothing that can go wrong by telling your kid that. Diane Lane gives this lovely performance about not only do we have to mourn him, but we also have to sit upon a secret. We we are the only ones who know that he was Superman, and we've got to live with that. In, and it's a really lovely performance. And then she steps outside and turns into Martian Manhunter. It's like, wow, Martha doesn't even get that. That was a dude. That, yeah, that was... That whole thing with throwing the Martian Manhunter in was a little bit strange. But yeah, you're right. It completely takes that moment away from her. But because, as Sharon pointed out again, these guys are double Batman. I wrote it down. Oh, you wrote it down. Okay. Okay, so here's what we have in this movie. We have girl Batman, wet Batman, fast Batman, computer Batman, and double Batman. That's perfect. (laughs) That is perfect. And I I was thinking a lot about your Batman and double Batman while watching the film last night. And I also couldn't help but think back to a conversation that uh, two of the members, you know, uh, both pretty well involved in kind of on the tertiary of them, uh, 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 Jack Packard and Rich Evans equating them to Batman being murder man and Superman being Captain Collateral Damage. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought of that a lot in this as well because that's they've kind of reverted back to that. Like Batman yeah. is just murder man once again. Superman has gone back to being Captain Collateral Damage. Yeah, Jesus. Um, yeah. So there's a big fight at the old grist mill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Nazis now found the Tesseract, I mean Mother Box, in Europe, and right. then it went to Shield, I mean Star Labs, and now the uh, League of Justice decides to resurrect the Man of Super. The fact, by the way, that all the paraphernalia for this version of Justice League is black is like Zack and company are unaware that Lego Batman exists. They don't know that this lampooned version of what they've done has skewered them in such a... Even Teen Titans Go to the Movies had a pop and a really good one. Oh, yeah. They really did. And, like, better movie than this that um, Teen Titans go to the movies. Oh, hell yeah. Darker um, as well. That it, bit where they uh, they rescue um, uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne. And then it turns out that in the future, all the, all the superheroes are, are, are wimps and the supervillains uh, rule. So then they go back in time and shove them into Crime Alley. Yeah. <sighs> black. All important movies start with a black screen. And music. Edgy, scary music that would make a parent or studio executive nervous. And logos. Really long and dramatic logos. DC. The house that Batman built. Yeah, what, Superman? Come at me, bro. I'm your kryptonite. Will Arnett's Lego Batman then goes on to uh, make a fun little gag about uh, Rat Pack's logo. The Lego Batman movie was released in February 2017, and it was November 2017 when six women, including Olivia Munn and Natasha Henstridge, came forward regarding Ratner's sexual harassment and assault. This led to Gal Gadot demanding that Ratner be off the project for the second Wonder Woman film, and rightly so. Immediately after the Rat Pack logo, the Lego Batman film goes on to a quote from Michael Jackson. A wonderful quote about making a change that you want to see in the world from Man in the Mirror. 
but another abuser. But as I was saying, all the marketing for this version of this film is monochromatic, emphasizing the black and the white. To illustrate that it's kind of like this mausoleum to a thing that was going to be. And that it, they're kind of resurrecting it the way they are Superman. So he then puts on the black costume. Can I talk about that black suit now? Go for it. Okay. This is... Oh, man. This this got to me... So This, to me, was probably the most depressing part of, of this entire viewing experience. Because... What ends up happening is, of course, they resurrect Superman. Nobody was ever in any doubt that that was going to happen. We've, we all know the death of Superman storyline, or at least most of us do, or at least aware of it. Mm. They're definitely going to bring him back. And there's a scene where he's kind of going, I think it's on his ship. It's not the, or is it the Fortress of Solitude? It's both. That ship acts as a fortress of solitude. Did you see the pictures that I sent you? Basically, that the entire back wall is a flank of vaginas. Vaginas! I could not not see it. Like as soon as I saw it, I was like, "Those are some fucking vaginas back there." And I going on. I went to Google Images and went, "Well, at least we now know where the dick ships from Krypton at the beginning of Man of Steel go. They go into the vagina ship. That's where they dock, apparently. So yeah, I." Dude, I could not not see that. That was insane. So he goes past the wall of vaginas. (laughs) (laughs) It's in Attack of the Clones as well. In that arena, there are these these vulva hoods all over that architecture. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Anyway, goes past the wall of vaginas. And this... I believe this is a bit of Hans Zimmer because this is a throwback to, like, Man of Steel. Oh, yeah. This very, very nice, uh, very you know like john williams-esque score yeah very like soaring very inspiring kind of you know that that very classic superman feel that you would think of is kind of playing in the background is building up to this thing and as he's walking down this hallway all these different suits are kind of coming out and you hear him uh, it's either just he's remembering things or just like these little echoes of both pa kent and uh jor-el so he's hearing both of his dads talk to him as he's going through this thing and i was like oh my god i i know i know what's coming i know about the black suit and i know that that's what they're leading up to but the way they have set it up with this like soaring inspirational music and the two dads talking to him in this very inspiring very emotional way how awesome would it have been if when he got to the end of that hallway he opened up this like magnificent bright blue and bright red suit with like the gold and red s on the cape Mm -hmm. and like boom classic superman whole like i would have gotten chills if they had done that
Instead, they give him the all-black suit, which featured in the early 90s, Death and Return of Superman. Huge DC story at the time, best-selling classic graphic novel, by no means the best Superman story. In fact, kind of flabby and nonsensical, and powered by a massive stunt campaign that had rarely been attempted before, what if we killed a major superhero? Oliver Queen's Green Arrow had already died. Barry Allen had already died during Crisis on Infinite Earths, as had Kara Zor-El Supergirl. But this was a big public event that regular non-comic readers found out about. It was on the news. Superman is dead. I cannot undersell how little comic books impacted upon regular people in the 90s. So this was a big deal. I can understand why it feels like, ah, you're listening now to a lot of guys. But back in what was originally called The Death of Superman, Doomsday fights the entire Justice League, beats them all, Doomsday fights Superman, kills him, and he's buried but eventually comes back because he was never dead. He was in a Kryptonian healing coma. In the meantime, a bunch of fake Supermans have been terrorizing Metropolis with their cyborg ways. But he comes back in this all black suit, no cape, and with a giant mullet. And while it is a striking look on screen for Henry Cavill to be sporting, because his Superman has already been very dark to date, him going completely black here is going in the opposite direction to what Maya, myself, Sharon, and I'm gonna go ahead and guess a lot of people wanted to see Superman become. A shining beacon of hope. And there's definitely a feeling of, hey, I get that reference. But thematically, what Zack is doing here, bringing Superman back in black with those laser eyes that he uses cruelly upon Steppenwolf, shearing off one of his horns as he beats him down, purely to mutilate him, while that glorious flying music I just played you plays. With a look on Henry Cavill's face that can really only be described as grim, smug, cold, and hateful. So clearly this is not an attempt to deliver the classic Superman. That was what the course correction of the Joss Whedon cut did by giving him that bright blue suit by manipulating Henry Cavill's face into what appeared to be a smile. Now this was to prepare us for something darker. You got a little sort of hives, Sharon, when um, <laughs> Wonder Woman is sitting around with Alfred and he's like, no, 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 that's not how you make tea. Uh, and uh, let me show you here. This is so it doesn't scorch <laughs> the tea. I've never attempted doing uh, Jeremy Irons in this particular fashion. But uh, honestly, I said, that's actually kind of a neat scene. But if he's like, oh, ma madam, I am standing in the presence of a goddess right now. And I understand that you can literally move mountains. But I'm an English butler. And there is one thing that I can do quite well. Let me show you. And that is to make some good tea. And it would have just been so lovely and charming. But the way he does it, it's like, no, 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 that's not how you do it. And just fucking mansplains tea to a lady. It's like, fuck <laughs> off. 
the fact that he's a butler almost seems by the by at this point. Like mm-hmm. I think the fact that just that that he was English was enough, and that Gal Gadot has got this kind of ha look on her face the whole time. Like, Absolutely. okay, I'll put up with this. Yeah. Although I did also say that I I will take bets on this being Gail Simone's favorite scene in the whole movie. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it was <laughs> honestly, it was nice because it was two characters talking to each mm-hmm. other. You know yeah. what? Barely any of that in this. One of the reasons why Avengers is so fantastic is the entire middle section is all of these folks yeah. communicating and with each other, what, just for bouncing the most off. Part, this really lacks just the characters doing things in a way that is recognizable as them. Mm. What then basically happens is, is much the same as the finale of uh, the uh, uh, the theatrical version. It's a big old fight. Like I said before, in the uh, the, the Whedon one kind of mean, negates the rest of the league because after the failure of the other five leaguers, Superman ends up doing all the heavy lifting. In this, Aquaman and Wonder Woman definitely get serious hits in that contribute to the actual end of Steppenwolf. All the while, Flash is running round and round and round and is somehow able to be shot by one of the B-police. Flash, as it turns out, can turn back time if he runs fast enough. And Batman does get a much punchier Batmobile action sequence. And he gets to hang around shooting other parademons while Cyborg works with the mother boxes. We haven't mentioned the aspect ratio. It didn't bother me that much. It bothered a couple of people on Twitter, uh, Rachel in particular, who kept going on about the 4.3 ratio. Um, Along with the different color grading, it makes it virtually impossible for me to make something that feels like a coherent and seamless, and I think most of all, pacey, drawing on the best aspects of each hybrid version of both editions of Justice League, like I did with Superman 2. It didn't bother me until this group shot, when it was like, we got the entire Justice League in shot. Almost! 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 There we go! And then it's like the camera moves ever so slightly again, and now they're slightly breaking the frame, and it's like, that... Having lots of people on screen, turns out it's quite difficult when you're using a uh, classic TV aspect ratio. Yeah. Uh, 235 to 1 David Lean look would probably have actually benefited this thing. Mm. But there, I mean, you could say IMAX. Someone uh, noted very astutely, they're selling this as a 4K disc. It's not 4K. It's 3K. You get the other K later. (laughs) 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 after another 75 million (laughs) dollars and i know shooting in imax means there is a huge amount of extra digital information in every frame i was still though reminded of watching classic cinematic films on the telly in the 90s so okay let me just there's a neat bit with where cyborg um gets you know almost his his desire which is to be a real live boy again he travels into the unity of three mother boxes who seem like witches and they present him with an illusion of his parents and him whole again. And his mother says, my broken boy, to which Victor counterpoints, I'm not broken. And I'm like, yeah, that's good. That's actually uh, something which people with disabilities in the audience would be like, you know what? Fuck yeah. Yeah. I love this cyborg guy. I liked that. That was a nice little moment. Yeah. Darkseid, on seeing Steppenwolf defeated, decides we're going to do this the old-fashioned way. Which is just straight-up physical invasion of the Earth. And if you'd like to see what that looks like, albeit briefly, watch the 1987 canon Masters of the Universe movie which the creators unabashedly 
pinched a whole bunch of fourth world stuff from. Skeletor in that is Darkseid. So then there's a massive epilogue that goes on for another half an hour. A lot of footage that made the Whedon cut and a lot of that is expanded. There's the kind of Wayne Manor, we're going to have a round table, and there's a point where Batman goes, no, it must be six, not five. Got to be six. And then, uh... <laughs> Mar- Do odd numbers freak him out? I don't something? know. Like, if there's even a 1% chance that we don't have six. Um, but then uh, Diana says, and with room for more. And he's like, yeah, okay, I suppose. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, so bigger expanding league. So, like, we, we, you know, maybe when Batman was saying, we got to have six, Green Arrow pokes his head and goes, hey, guys, I heard you were hiring. No, fuck off. It's got to be Superman. <laughs> So would you got a bow and arrow? We'd have no use for you. It's it, okay. Apart from the fact that it's a round table, you're referencing King Arthur, who King very Arthur. specifically had twelve knights. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I mean, like Batman's parents were killed after they went to see Excalibur, so it's kind of his destiny to become the Arthur, Arthur King. Mm. Okay. You, you you have an Arthur King right there. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, yeah, but but I have the table. I bought the table. <laughs> didn't vote for you. <laughs> <laughs> what a narco-cynicalist commune. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> the end of the theatrical version features a race between The Flash and Superman from coast to coast, which some people didn't like. I did like it because it was just a, it was a nice bit of levity and just a bit of the Justice League being friends and lightly competitive. There was an episode of Superman the Animated Series where he raced The Flash. It reminded me of that. It made me feel like that might be possible in this world at long last. Joss Whedon effectively replaced the Cyborg-related speech at the ending of the original version of Justice League because Cyborg wasn't really allowed to be anything in the theatrical version and gave it to Lois Lane. So we get this commentary on the DCEU to date from her. Darkness. The truest darkness is not the absence of light. It is the conviction that the light will never return. But the light always returns to show us things familiar. Home, family, and things entirely new or long overlooked. It shows us new possibilities and challenges us to pursue them. This time, the light shone on the heroes, coming out of the shadows to tell us we won't be alone again. Our darkness was deep and seemed to swallow all hope. But these heroes were here the whole time to remind us that hope is real, that you can see it. All you have to do is look. Up in the sky. And as that happens, Clark Kent walking through the street opens his shirt to reveal the classic red Superman S on yellow against blue. Not just Christopher Reeve's Superman, but a consistent version of him as it has appeared in the cultural consciousness. You know, whenever you think Superman, rather than Snyder's inversion of that. Snyder's critique on Superman. Snyder's Dr. Manhattan, but Superman. 
Effectively, he started this universe off with his version, and I didn't honestly know what to expect regarding taking him along a path. And I hoped, ironically, that after all this decade of disaster and misery, we could come out of it with something lighter. But we actually get that exact same pulling apart the shirt to reveal that Superman's still wearing the black costume. He never takes it off. And in this version of events, he never will. Before we get to the biggest problem I have with this entire saga, let me give you the latter half of Silas's message to his son. This is heavily abbreviated. It's like a nine-minute sequence encompassing Aquaman, Flash, Wonder Woman, Batman, The Round Table, Superman, all the Justice League kind of moving forwards. But if you pare it down, you get a really great sequence. Additionally, the way Ray Fisher was treated during the Whedon production was absolutely unconscionable, giving this section more power. And if they'd ended on this, brilliant. I actually would have smiled and gone, you know what, Zach? Well done. Albeit without that dramatic meat that I mentioned earlier, without that serious turn on Victor's part, without that cyborg movie, let's face it, Zach here effectively resolves the conundrum that Kevin Costner's Pa Kent, cruelly motivated by his own fears and insecurities and mistrust of apparently the entire human race, heaps upon his son, Clark. Now, let me speak to you from my heart, not as a scientist, as a father. Your father twice over. I brought you into the world and back to it. You can't imagine how proud I am of who you are, have always been. So many years with you I wasted, so many wrongs I've left unrighted. Everything breaks, Victor. Everything changes. The world is hurt, broken, unexchangeable. But the world's not fixed in the past, only the future. The not yet. Now, now's your time, Victor, to rise. Do this, be this, the man I never was, the hero you are. Take your place among the brave ones, the ones that were, that are, that are yet to be. It's time you stand. Fight. Discover. Heal, love. Once again, if Zack had ended on this, that is a victory. 
I would have actually applauded it. But he didn't. Because after this, Lex breaks out of the Arkham home for the emotionally challenged. Cheers for that. Meets Deathstroke on his boat. Which, of course, reminded me about the Harley Quinn surprise explosion ending that I had cited ages ago and mentioned earlier in this podcast. But, and this was, I said that in 2017 before I saw Birds of Prey, which I fucking adore. And before I saw Aquaman, that I love. Like, just listening to the music of Aquaman just makes me, it's helped me write so much. I love those films. And I love Wonder Woman. And that leads me to the exact polar opposite of that ending. Like, I'd slogged through this nearly four hours, and I was like, okay, can we just... We're at the end now, can we finish up? And then they they stuck the knife in, broke it off, leaving this poison blade between my ribs, and I'm like, that actually really hurts. And it comes down to the flash-forward slash premonition slash dream that Bruce had in Batman v Superman that was never really explained in the uh, later parts of the movie or in the Whedon Justice League. Um, And there's a little flash-forward halfway through when Cyborg has visions of Aquaman being killed by Darkseid, of Wonder Woman's death, of an evil Superman throwing down what appears to be Batman's head. It's just his cowl. But remember, back in Batman v Superman... The vision takes Bruce all the way up to the point where, in the Ultimate Edition, Nazi Superman, Supermensch, rips Batman's cowl off and then tears his heart out like Mortal Kombat. So it appears we are not done with this dark vision of the future. And earlier in the film, Cyborg said to the League, Hey, this feels like a really bad idea. And they tell him to shut up. So following the good ending with Silas Stone's speech, and then the Lex on a boat ending with Deathstroke, what we then get is a flash forward to this dark future that we saw before. And Batman, and I'm going to explain it in maybe a little too much detail for the uh, for the folks who haven't s- slogged through this movie. Because I've not heard anyone else be really upset by this. But this just, this made me angry on several distinct levels. So we're in the Mad Max future. Superman has wrecked the world because we keep referencing this. Lois was killed. She get like he's holding her, or he's he's crying over her burned, charred Aunt Beru skeleton. She's fucking dead. And we can add to that through the pregnancy test seeded earlier that she was with child at the time. And and we get a flash of Darkseid like patting him on the shoulder, like you know, mine is the way. Like I will give you a new purpose. And that's really pertinent to this particular dark future. Because Superman has become his right-hand man. Do you remember the SS-looking troops with the Superman symbol on their, their, mm-hmm. their Nazi outfits that he's leading in the, in the Batman v Superman flashback? Like, he's a yeah. giant eradicating Nazi. He's a fascist. Yeah, he's, a, he's become a fascist. And he has taken over the planet with Darkseid and killed countless people. Because Lois has died. And Batman's been told Lois is the key. And we get Flash in armor, and we recognize that the armor is... You might recognize that the armor is what the Flash was wearing. When I originally said I thought it was Cyborg coming back in time, obviously it's Flash. I couldn't tell he's wearing fucking armor. Which, obviously, when you're watching it, it doesn't seem like the Flash. It seems like Cyborg, who's Mm -hmm. got the... He's got a mechanical helmet. So, since I had neither met Flash nor Cyborg, I assumed it was the mechanical one. And because of the way Zack Snyder color grades his films, I couldn't tell he was white. So Batman's leading this last resistance of the Justice League. Diana is dead. 
She is burned on a funeral pyre with coins on her eyes while her mother watches and weeps. Arthur is dead. He is impaled by Darkseid with his own trident. And Superman, with glowing red evil Terminator eyes, flies above the ruins of Justice League Tower. Wearing that black costume he's never gonna take off. He also killed a Green Lantern for good measure. I think it's Kilowog. Thus fulfilling Bruce's vision and Victor's vision. Mira's still around and she's embittered and angry and furious and violent. Flash and Cyborg are still around. Deathstroke's here, paying off the fact that Lex Luthor told him that Batman was Bruce Wayne. And it would appear their main mission here is to somehow fix this dark timeline, which entails keeping Lois alive. Now, fixing dark timelines, I am totally down with. Some of my favorite stories involve fixing dark timelines. And I am well acquainted with dark versions of the Justice League and dark futures. But there's something about the detail in this, the specificity in this, and the hopelessness in this. They meet Jared Leto's Joker, who is the worst Joker. Like, there are no he, worse he Jokers than this. the worst. He is the most the worst. obnoxious fuck. And he's played by an obnoxious fuck. This weird, pretentious little cult leader. In real life. Good idea making that guy Joker. He sent Viola Davis used condoms and anal beads because that's what the Joker would do. And rather than tell you what he says, I'll just play it for you. Who have you ever loved? Oh, contraire, my little fish dick. He knows exactly what it's like to lose someone he loves. You know, like a... a father. Like a mother. Be very careful with the next thing you say. Like an adopted son. Maybe, in a way, that smelly old flounder is right. Because how many can die in your arms before you grow numb to death? That's not very careful. Now, how many dead eyes can you look into before you die inside yourself? I've been dead inside a long time. But even I have a limit. And if you cross that line, I swear to God. Before what, Bruce? Kill me? You won't kill me. I'm your best friend. Besides, who's going to give you a reach around? Keeping it classy. You need me. You need me to help you undo this world you created by letting her die. Poor Lois. How she suffered so. I often wonder, how many alternate timelines do you destroy the world because, frankly, you don't have the colonies to die yourself? Hmm? So as usual, I'll be the bigger man. A truce, Bruce. <laughs> 
As long as you have this car. The truce. But all you have to do is tear it in half, and I'm happy to discuss with you in any way, like, why you sent a boy wonder to do a man's job. You know, it's funny. He would talk about people who died in my arms. Because when I held Harley Quinn, and she was bleeding and dying, she begged me with her last breath. And when I killed you, and make no mistake, I will fucking kill you. Then I do it slow. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Because when I held Harley Quinn, and she was bleeding and dying, bleeding and dying, she begged me, she begged me with her last breath. And when I killed you, then I do it slow. I'm gonna honor that promise. And then evil, black-suited, red-eyed Terminator Superman turns up to kill everybody. And now we get to what I hope I am wrong about. But because of the way everything is positioned in this film, and because, as I said, the specificity of how this dark future is pitched, I find it really difficult to interpret it in any other way. There is a metatextual element to this, I believe. Wonder Woman was a very non-Zack Snyder movie, even though he produced it. They managed to keep it very mm -hmm. feminine in nature, and it went in a direction that he may or may not have really been meaning for it to. Aquaman was a very non-Zack Snyder movie. Birds of Prey was a refutation Definitely of Suicide not. Squad. Suicide Squad was a film that positioned Harley Quinn and the Joker as an aspirational fucked up romantic couple who are reunited at the end. Birds of Prey observed his horrendous repulsive behavior and had Harley seeking her independence from that. Harley yeah. bled to death. That means Margot Robbie's Harley died. Harley, yeah. And this fucker gets to live and cackle about it. Just the fact that these three movies that did really well and people really love, the only thing they don't have is the severed head of Billy Batson. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is like the only thing they're really missing in here is is somehow referencing Shazam and how he's already dead too because everybody is always already dead. Well, they're already dead, so fuck them. It's possible that Margot Robbie was asked, will you be in this sequence? And she went, oh, no, I'm so busy making uh, The Suicide Squad or something else and made her excuses and wasn't in it. Maybe Jason Momoa was busy or something. But here's the thing. Superman goes insane and destroys the world because Lois died. No. <laughs> you know, you said that's not my Superman. The idea that Batman has got to stop Lois dying, which she keeps trying to do. Remember in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, she's like, I'm going to go and, and throw away this kryptonite spear. And now I need to go and get it back. That was a silly oh, yeah, thing to do. And I'm about to drown. She jumps back into it and almost drowns herself for no reason. Yeah. She's like a penguin that Batman has to keep picking up to stop from <laughs> wandering into a fiery pit full of punji sticks. And the idea that he's got to keep Lois alive or Superman will turn into a genocidal maniac, that gives so little faith to Superman himself. That effectively says there is no goodness in Clark Kent, in this Clark Kent, that can't be erased with the sudden, unexpected and terrible death of Lois Lane. I do not know whether this was intentional or not, but a reading of this with a knowledge of DC law directly equates Superman here 
with the Joker. And for this, I'm going to bring you back to The Killing Joke, written by Alan Moore, who wrote Watchmen, that Zack Snyder doesn't understand. So I see you received the free ticket I sent you. I'm glad. I did so want you to be here. You see, it doesn't matter if you catch me and send me back to the asylum. Gordon's been driven mad. I've proved my point. I've demonstrated that there's no difference between me and everybody else. All it takes is one bad death to reduce the sanest man alive to lunacy. Go! Sir, I'm sorry, but your wife... That's how far the world is from where I am. There was a million to one freak accident. Yes. One bad day. Nobody backing out now remains healthy. No exceptions. You had a bad day once. Bruce. Am I right? Don't be afraid. I know I am. I can tell. You had a bad day and everything changed. Why else would you dress up like a flying rat? I'm sorry, Master Bruce. You had a bad day and it drove you as crazy as everybody else. You have to let them go. Only you won't admit it. You have to keep... pretending that life makes sense. There's some point to all this struggling. God, you make me want to puke. I mean, what is it with you? What made you what you are? Girlfriend killed by the mob, maybe? Brother carved up by some mugger. Something like that, I bet. Something like that. Something like that happened to me, you know. I'm not exactly sure what it was. Sometimes I remember it one way, sometimes another. If I'm going to have a past, I prefer it to be multiple choice. <laughs> My point is, I went crazy when I saw what a black and awful joke the world was. I went crazy as a coot. I admit it. Why can't you? It's all a joke. Everything. Anybody ever valued or struggled for. It's all a monstrous, demented gag. So why can't you see the funny side? Why aren't you laughing? Despite all your sick, vicious little games, he's as sane as he ever was. So maybe ordinary people don't always crack. Maybe... There isn't any need to crawl under a rock with all the other slimy things when trouble hits. Maybe it was just you all the time. Uh, 
That was from my audio drama that I produced back in 2013. Correction of an earlier statement, the evil fascist Superman in the dark future that folks are calling Knightmare with a K, 2.0, is in fact not wearing the black costume. He's wearing the dark blue and dark red to keep him consistent with the vision in 2016's Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, Knightmare 1.0 the one where he punches through Batman's chest. I only got a brief glimpse of him when I first saw the Snyder Cut, and I was too busy shouting, oh god no, to see that his shoulders were in fact very, 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 very dark blue, as his laser eyes flared up to kill his former teammates. So there you go, that's that costume ruined too. What I'm objecting to most strongly here is the idea that Superman can just have one bad day when it has been reiterated over and over again that he is the symbolic embodiment of hope. I've seen Superman alternate realities where he decides he's going to be the authority and the uh, Justice League uh, animated series did this where Superman takes a look at humanity and goes, you know what, you guys are fucking it up. And if he took a look at what happened between 2016 and 2020, I can understand Superman going, you people can't be trusted. I'm going to be the higher authority and fix humanity. And that would always be a temptation for him. And some variation of that happened in the Injustice video games where, yes, Joker killed Lois Lane. Accuracy to another piece of media does not make it a good story. You could make an entirely accurate Old Man Logan film and it would be a piece of shit. This was the coda of Zack Snyder's take on the Justice League. This was the finale, the farewell, the goodbye, the epilogue, the laying down of his final themes. And I will remind you folks that I really liked that cyborg ending. So again, I can understand if Superman goes down a path that leads him towards trying to be the moral authority but that is not the yeah. same as becoming a fascist who fries the world out of fury. I honestly feel or like one person. even that, if if Clark Kent, if Kal-El looked at what we're doing to the world, if he was really in it and saw what was going on, he'd go, you know what? I failed. I didn't inspire you enough to not do this and he would leave. That to me is the direction that his mind was. If you're going to make him Dr. Manhattan and Lois was turned to dust in his arms, if that happened with Silk Spectre 2, Dr. Manhattan would have been angry, but he'd have gone, you know what? I'm done uh, with this. I'm going to go yeah, to another he, galaxy and make mm -hmm. life. But uh, Yeah, I'm, he would have retreated yeah. to Mars or the moon or wherever then, he goes uh, off which to is what earlier. He does. But this is a so much darker, angrier, like spite-filled, furious, lizard-brained... Mm. Angry man. So Lois is dead. The mother is dead. Let's assume Martha is dead. The Amazons are absent. Mira is an arbiter of vengeance. Superman's baby is dead. Diana is dead. Harley is dead. This is not intricate symbolism. The world has been burned to ash and the women went first, leaving nothing behind but rage and regret. Like, even, even when you don't take that into consideration, it's still a very odd thing to end it on. Yeah. Like, really? This, like, grim, 
despairing, hopeless, catastrophic. Well, hope end. has been turned into destruction. What's the S stand for? It's not an S. On my world, it means hope. That was our vision of hope in Man of Steel in 2013. Eight years later, in this dark future that won't go away, he turns up at the very end to murder the remaining leaguers. He's found us. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, almost... I'll have my fascist fucking SS troops at my back. And it's here. also the polar opposite of something like the end of the Richard Donner Superman, where he is willing to turn back time to mm. save one person's life. But ultimately, here's the thing. If, like, Batman's terrified of this ending, and then Lois actually died at the end of this one, and all Superman, all Clark does is just get down on his knees and cry. That is a father expressing grief over his child that he could not save. That is a husband expressing yeah. grief over his wife that he could not save. That is, you know, anyone who loves anyone unable to stop that. And for him to just accept that this has happened and that he can't do anything about it, that does relate back to the Richard Donner Superman. All those things I can do. All those powers. And I couldn't even save him. And yet, at the end of the Donner film, he cannot accept Lois's death. So he meddles with the entire planet. <laughs> if Henry Cavill's Superman accepts his version of Lois's death the way all of us have to accept death, that actually gives us a Superman that we can trust. Someone who will go, this was the thing I cared about the most, but you know what? I am going to carry on. And to say, it is okay to grieve the people that you've lost. It's okay to express this vulnerable side of yourself. You don't have to express everything in only anger. You can express the tears, you can have the grief, you can experience that and live through it. And you know what? You've got people around you that will help you through it. You've got a Diana Prince, you've got a Bruce Wayne, you've got all of these people that you are have now surrounded you that can help you through this terrible time. And it's okay to be vulnerable around them. It's okay to ask for help from them. Is that not a more needed message right now? Yeah. And perhaps might strike a, you know, a chord with more people. It is entirely possible that the angle here is supposed to be, this is Bruce's fear because this is what Bruce would do. I know, but that's the thing. It refutes Bruce's fear <laughs> if Superman doesn't do that. But that's the yeah. thing. If Bruce is still afraid of that, then that... We haven't moved one fucking inch. Since the end of Man of Steel, he has learned yeah. nothing. Exactly, yeah. Which means it was never Superman to begin with. Everything's being filtered through Batman's personal messed up lens of the world. Yeah, his own worldview. 
my anger over this will subside and all that will be left in the end will just be pity. To Zack and Deborah Snyder and the rest of their family for their unimaginable loss. To we got served up a nightmare, but it's one we can just walk away from. I think this hurts and disturbs me the most because I can feel his pain and anger. And I hope he someday finds peace. And we're going to end on a very appropriate song covered here by Jeff Buckley, who drowned at age 30. Well, I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord, but you don't really care for music, do you? Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall and the major lift, the baffled king composing strong but you needed proof you saw her bathing on the roof her beauty and the moonlight overthrew you and she tied you to her kitchen chair and she broke your throne and she cut your hair and from your lips she drew It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah 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 Well there was a time Remember when I moved in you And the holy dove was moving too And every breath we drew is hallelujah 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 
Maybe there's a God above But all I've ever learned from love Was how to shoot somebody who outdrew you And it's not a cry that you hear at night It's not somebody who's seen the light It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah 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 Thank you.